Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week, uh, we're not going to talk about a book that we're currently reading. We're going to talk maybe a little bit about a book we read some time ago. Um, and maybe some books we'll be reading up uh, here in the near future. Our guest this evening is Jeffrey Craner, who is the co-writer um, of Welcome to Night Vale, the podcast, the novel, and the upcoming books, Mostly Void, Partially Stars, and The Great Glowing Coils of the Universe. Yeah, as listeners may remember back in episode 301, so a few months back, we did a review episode of the book Welcome to Night Vale. Because of the way it's written and everything, it was a little bit of a challenge to talk about, but I remember we both gave it a very favorable review. Yeah, it was really good stuff. And now we have one of the co-writers of a podcast, a, a mega successful podcast. Holy crap, mega successful. So not only are we <laughs> envious of this man for his writing abilities, but we're envious of him for doing something that we have so far not been uh, nearly as successful at. Well, I mean, how do you measure success? If you want to get into like money. the touchy-feely... Oh, money, okay. Money. <laughs> so let me explain something to you. Uh, Jeffrey, along with Joseph Fink... And, and I'm sure a, a, a cast, you know, whatever, they have an ensemble, um, travel the world doing their stuff. I remember once I traveled to your place so we could record this podcast. That's about all the traveling we've done that's actually legitimately podcast related. I'm trying to think if I can challenge that. You can. We drive to Chicago yeah. for more at the bar, but you get what I'm saying, right? Right. 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 We, so, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, Night Vale has become a wildly successful podcast and um that's why we're even more grateful that jeffrey craner decided to take some time um i took a stab i just kind of sent out an email to some people saying hey we want to interview because we really enjoyed the book and um when you get to the people who are you know uh, more successful they're also busier and um less likely to talk to to us so we didn't really expect to hear anything back and then we did and it was like a month of just like panicked like is this really going to happen and it did. And it ended yep. up being wonderful, as you're going to hear. We already did the, we've recorded the interview and everything, and it went wonderfully, and it was super nice. And I'm um, just happy to be able to bring it to our listeners. Can I tell you the other thing that happens when you're successful is you get a publicist. And a publicist is like this extra step that goes through. So I, I'm not going to go through the whole string, but it was like 70 emails, I think. So it was like us talking to publicists, publicist running stuff by Jeffrey, Jeffrey <laughs> replying to the publicist, the publicist replying to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this crazy thing. So I will say that, um, we need a publicist. We need a publicist intern. Yes. So if anybody's up for handling all of the mundane communication, like <laughs> where I could message them and be like, all right, listen, uh, I'm thinking we record this week's episode on Monday night at 9 p.m. And then they get a hold of you and they're like, Livius uh, is available Monday night at 9 p.m. What do you think? And then you're like, no, maybe 830. And no? then they reply to you, 830, question mark, and then you reply back. Yeah. Uh, it would be a measure of success, I think. I, uh, sure. I, I'll try it. Your, send your applications to bookpodcast at gmail.com. All right. On to the good stuff. <laughs> Jeffrey Craner is co-writer along with creator Joseph Fink of the bi-weekly podcast Welcome to Night Vale. He is also makes dance and theater with choreographer and wife Jillian Sweeney. Most recently, Vulture Wally at Incubator Arts Project and This Could Be It at the Chocolate Factory. Jeffrey also writes, performs, and directs mostly short plays for the New York Neo-Futurists and their long-running show Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. 
Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking some time to come and talk to us on Booked here today. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Livius. I want to start. I was trying to explain to one of my coworkers at my day job um, that, that we were having you on. And they asked me what the podcast Welcome to Night Vale is. And I struggled a little bit in like a quick, concise format. So how do you explain Night Vale to someone who's uh, who's never listened? Uh, I have I have two ways I do it. I usually start with the kind of more full description, which is uh, Welcome to Night Vale is a podcast done in the style of community broadcasts, uh, community radio updates from a small desert town where every conspiracy theory is true and things such as secret police and angels and ghosts are just commonplace parts of everyday life and people just move on from there. Uh, so I kind of take that as, as that. And then the other, the other thing, that, the, the shorthand, like the Hollywood elevator pitch thing is I say it's, uh, it's uh, David Lynch does NPR. And uh, yeah, I kind of take that approach of it. Uh, a friend, my friend Kate Leth, who's a, a comic book writer and, and artist, uh, she once described our show, and it's maybe my favorite description so far. She said, uh, "Welcome to Night Vale is kind of what would happen if Neil Gaiman and Stephen King started a game of The Sims and just left it running for years." That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. That's way better than I've been able to conceive of of explaining it briefly. <laughs> One of the things I like about uh, the just seeing you know the town where all the conspiracy theories are true is that kind of implies a lot of humor in it because we choose to adapt to our situation instead of just leaving a bad you know a bad experience. So um, it basically, if all the conspiracy theories are true and the townspeople still live there. They're they're almost kind of choosing to be subjected to all the weird stuff that's going on. Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, I actually it, it's very funny to phrase it like that because I, I think about just our own world and the world in which we lived and all the just terrible stuff. We were just like, well, this is just how it is. I guess I'm just gonna go to work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so in Nightville, it is people people will email us or tweet at us and and be like, why do people even want to live there? I'm like, why does anyone <laughs> want to live anywhere? It's just it's a um, yeah, there's a lot of good in Nightville and a lot of uh, uh, really like uh, organized evil in Nightville too. So, yeah, it's um, it, it definitely it definitely takes on uh, humor. Uh, I think when we first put the podcast up on iTunes, we didn't really know how to categorize it because we didn't really know a lot of fiction po- fiction storytelling podcasts uh, out there. And so, like, calling it literature arts seemed kind of not quite right because we weren't, like, nonfiction guys talking about literature or arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just said, well, there's a lot of jokes in here, so we just called it a, a comedy. And, uh, and yeah, and I think the core of Night Vale is still its humor. Um, it has kind of an almost uh, – there's, like, an almost, like, onion-type quality to the humor in the sense that the really absurd uh, – uh, wild things are treated as mundane and the really mundane things are treated as absurd. Oh man, the onion. I, uh, growing up in the the Midwest where I think the onion kind of originated, I remember when it was just an actual newspaper that you had to find somewhere and, and yes. you got it that way. And I'll a hundred percent agree with you and their humor. I don't know how they've done it over the years, but it's just, yeah, I love the onion. Yeah, the area man concept, like uh, you know, area man does something just really mundane is is always really super funny. Or the point counterpoint, where where the point has some like a uh, really elaborate take on on uh, on abortion or drone strikes or some heavy topic, and then the counterpoint is always nah, <laughs> something to that effect. 
And we reviewed Welcome to Night Vale a, a while ago now, six months maybe, which we enjoyed a lot. But I was thinking about it from what you do on a on a monthly basis, on an every other week basis. What were some of the challenges in in trying to put that into long form fiction? Uh, the biggest challenge was going from 2,500 word episodes to a 100,000 word novel. That was like the biggest thing, which is, is, uh, you know, one is the obvious just word count. But the, the other thing is, is I think the biggest thing we talked about when Joseph and I sat down to even just discuss writing the novel was that unlike the podcast, which is kind of an ongoing storytelling of the town the podcast has these ups and downs of stories and there are uh, some episodes that just you know kind of touch on current ongoing plot things but ultimately just are a standalone uh, story uh, that may or may not go anywhere in the future and um, but it, it, the show goes on and on and on and um, whereas a novel doesn't do that you can't just leave the novel hanging and be like, i'm sure we'll write more of these we'll, we'll pick this up later um the way you can with a with a podcast episode so the big thing was is just in writing a novel and this seems so obvious uh is it has to have a beginning middle and an end it has to resolve itself so it was kind of really sitting down and planning out uh long term what the chapters would be and we we took a just a, a basic outline structure of like here are the chapters here are the you know we divided the book into actually like i think four acts like four sections and then we broke those down into chapters and it it really was just like there was so much more sitting and planning and drafting out what it would be before we really even wrote a word of it and uh and that that was the biggest challenge because that that's kind of not really how we do the podcast we definitely plan in advance for the podcast but it's usually uh, you know, six to ten episodes ahead, and um, and it, it really is like dealing with lots of different plots. And some of those resolutions in the podcast, uh, when we plan ten up episodes ahead, might be, hey, ten episodes from now, this plot will be here. It still won't be resolved, but this is where we want to be with it at this point. Um, which in a novel, you can't be like on the final chapter, uh, this won't be resolved, but you know, it'll it'll be something to think about. I think one of the things that we mentioned when we reviewed it was. Um kind of what you were talking about the idea that i mean there was an obvious beginning middle end kind of that situation but um because of the the way that the podcast goes and it's ongoing it seemed like uh, that was one of the things you had to, to to strike a balance between was how the podcast is an ongoing thing versus like this story has to be encapsulated mm-hmm. uh, and like you know its own entity so have you gotten any backlash about the way that it differs from the podcast i was looking at the reviews on amazon and um, a lot of, honestly, a lot of the reviews emulate the style of the show, but there were some that were uh, complainy. So did you get <laughs> much backlash for, for the book, or was it primarily positive stuff? Um, it was mostly positive stuff. Maybe this is just my thing of, of uh, I, I don't... Um... I don't read many uh, reviews, uh, you know, like publications and things like that. Sometimes I'll read those, but I, I try not to read too much. And that, that's probably where the more critical <laughs> commentary is, uh, as opposed to on Twitter tends, tends to be more positive or via email or something. I definitely, you know, there, there were a lot of people, and, and we knew this would be an issue going in. There were a lot of people that were sort of disappointed that it wasn't Cecil telling the story. Um, we heard from people like that, that, that were like, I liked that Cecil was in there, but I, I wanted, I wanted more of these plot points or I wanted this resolved or, or something like that. And, um, you know, that just is what it is. Uh, you know, we, we sort of always approach the, the, the novel and the, and the live show and the podcast with, 
with um, this is the these are the stories we want to tell, and this is why people liked it in the first place is is the stories we chose to tell, and we'll we'll just continue relying on that. Um, you know, we uh, so we we sort of approached it in in that kind of way. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely definitely there there are a few people that I had heard from that that were they were very into the podcast and they and and their 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 um their love of the podcast uh i'm sure comes from the stories but also from cecil's voice you know cecil baldwin the actor who plays the the, the same named character on the show um narrates 99% of the shows and uh he has this really booming deep uh resonant voice that that's very calming and um and I think people really connect with that. And then once you kind of take that voice away and put it on the page and you tell stories about different characters and kind of put it in their world and put them on their feet and follow them around, um, you know, it does. It definitely takes away one of the components of the podcast that, that I think people really fall in love with. So, um, you know, but that again, the novel is a completely different medium uh, than, than a podcast. And so we, we didn't want to make a, a novel that was just rehashing the same stories or this exact same storytelling uh that the podcast has which um i think actually is a good thing and 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 the positive light of it is like you were saying because it's not in cecil's voice you have the ability to explore outside of of what you maybe normally would have um access to which is cool and i i took it with an adventurous spirit like hey this is different and it's and it's exciting but yeah cool yeah, that's good to hear. Although we also host the podcast, our focus is always um, books. So we the book was a little bit of a challenge to you know, and you touched a little bit on it. Like, how do you categorize um, the the novel? Do you have a I don't want to call it like a like a if you liked this, you'd like <laughs> Welcome to Night Vale, the novel that that you use. Uh, that's a really good question. I um, you know, I think it depends. We we uh, there there's so many different influences that we have, and and kind of ways of we try and diversify the the approach that we take. Meaning, kind of we talked about you know the onion sense of humor, and and there, there's definitely that throughout the show. There's kind of like a moments of kind of rapid fire, strange, dry jokes. And there's also these kind of like long form. Just it really is just a long form story about family. Uh, is really what the the novel is about. It's about uh, parents and children. And so, yeah, so it's a little tough to approach. I mean, there's something to maybe like a Terry Pratchett type of element to it in the sense of like building like a long form, like building out the the exploration of this world um, in in kind of a a fun type of way. Um, I I wouldn't even be against saying like a, a lot of uh, comedy books. I, I grew up reading Dave Barry a whole lot as a child, so there, there's definitely some part of his absurd sense of humor that that would be in that. Um, a book that came out right around the same time that I just thought was was uh, brilliant. It was a graphic novel. It was a YA graphic novel called Nimona. Came out last year and uh, right around the same time ours did. And that's always one that that one was really interesting because it, it it often showed up on Amazon as people who bought Night Vale also bought Nimona. And I, I, I thought that that was really interesting. Nimona is a different storytelling style, but it's it has moments of being clever and moments of being adorable and moments of just being really dark and really hitting on some really, really hard issues. And uh, I think that that level of layering those things is something that we put into Welcome to Night Vale. So that's a couple of really 
odd things. Uh, another one, too, I think, because it was such a big influence on me growing up, was Alice in Wonderland. And I think I'm always sort of chasing that high in my writing is to find a way to keep the reader on their toes, to to make the reader stop expecting what's next, and to always just sort of relax and take in what, what the author gives you as, as real, no matter how uh, it, it, strange it seems. That's awesome. Love me some Lewis Carroll. Um, sure. Who, because who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> thinking about our question, as you were answering it, I was thinking, what would I say? And I've been saying, if you like the podcast, you'll like the book. So, <laughs> Well, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People who liked our book would like our podcast. That's a great answer. <laughs> now, when we reviewed the Welcome to Night Vale novel, we could not help but categorize it in a genre called bizarro. So are you familiar with bizarro or weird fiction at all? I, I know weird fiction, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've not heard the term bizarro, but that makes perfect sense, yeah. <laughs> so bizarro, I think the difference between what bizarro is and what um, Welcome to Night Vale, and we actually, I think we we, ter- we coined the term like mainstream bizarro or, or, or mm-hmm. something like that, but like bizarro takes like every chance and goes in just the weirdest directions possible. Um, so it's it's... It's not as, I want to say tame, maybe, mm-hmm. as, as your book is, but it definitely has like those elements of um, just kind of challenging the bounds of um, you know, the laws of physics and reality and time and all those things, um, but telling a normal story kind of within those confines. So yeah, um, yeah just thought that uh, I wanted to see if you were aware of, of the genre because it, 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 it fits it even if it didn't mean to. Yeah, and I don't know if this fits into the weird fiction genre. I think it fits more into just kind of like absurdist modern literature, which is like Donald Bartlemay's, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh, Dead Father, uh, is I think kind of that example of, uh, in my mind anyway, of, yeah, like a, a story that, that, that in its storytelling, like every action that follows the action before is surreal. But like, uh, but like with the dead father, uh, you know, there there is a there is a storyline in there. But but every step of the way, it, it revels in the postmodern writing of it all, and, and and it means a lot of big things. It means a lot of big picture issues, and it and it and it ultimately feels like uh, poetry disguised disguised as prose. And um, yeah, you're right though. I mean, like w- with Welcome to Nightville, we, uh, we certainly have that type of influence, and I like taking that sort of lack of a better term off the top of my head, David Lynchian type of uh, weirdness. But but it is fun to always to to set that weirdness as normal, and you do it so much that people are like, oh yeah, this is just the world we're in, and then then ultimately you just have this like really pretty straightforward story. I think that's a challenge. I, I think that can be a challenge to get the reader to just kind of accept what you're giving them as reality um uh-huh. because it's such an intention from the reader to to kind of try to want to frame it the way that their brain wants to yeah but yeah so if you're successful with that um that's great and it and it, yeah. and it makes a really good read well and i i would say the uh, you know there's this other component too like joseph and i before we did night vale we did a we did a play um in new york that we co-wrote and performed together and it was a um uh, it was called What the Time Traveler Will Tell Us, and we were both just sort of curious about just the the genre of time travel, and and um, or not not the genre, but yeah, the just very concept of time travel and what that meant. And we found ourselves like doing an early writing, a, kind of writing a lot of stuff about 
how time travel might work or what it would mean. And, and, and time travel is so convoluted and it's such a paradox, um, especially in fiction storytelling. Like we can do the, the back to the future paradox and all of that kind of stuff. But the, uh, uh, there is this thing where like when, once you get into the science of your fiction, once you get into like how everything works, the procedures, the, you know, uh, the, the mystery writer needing to have the, you know, setting up all of the proper procedures that is real and realistic. That becomes a thing where, uh, where within Night Vale, we can say something like time doesn't work in Night Vale and we never really have to explain it. Because if you kind of set that up as a premise enough and you show in some ways how it affects certain people, like uh, Jackie, for instance, in the novel is 19 and has been 19 as long as she can remember. But other people seem to age. Uh, you know, Cecil is a character that also seems to have not aged. Like we have n- notes in the in the podcast that, that he might be hundreds of years old. We're not quite sure. Uh, but you sort of play with that in the world. But we don't really sit within the idea of time not working in Night Vale. We don't find a need to explain scientifically how that all works or procedurally how it affects every single person. Um, it just becomes kind of this background and you can kind of set that as a way of like twisting people around. But you don't open yourself up necessarily to, wait a minute, here's where your theory is wrong. Or wait a minute, this doesn't hold up because no, it's just the fact of the matter. We're not going to explain it i can't tell you how much i appreciate that um <laughs> uh and and i have an example of a book that we read a while ago and i i think i'm gonna take livius's thing that he was about to say we had a a book that we read where time travel was involved and um anytime someone questioned the time travel the time traveler would just say nobody knows how time travel works and and that was it <laughs> And it was amazing because you got to you got to accept time travel as being a part of the story without it taking away from the story. You got to just live in the story. So I think too many people get caught up on on needing to have it make sense in, in a in a very you know specific way instead of just it's part of the story and move on with life. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always loved time travel stories, but you're right. The, the mechanics aren't important. Um, you know, it's a vehicle to tell a, a cool story with, with some cool things that can happen. And, and you're right. You know, if you're watching or, or reading a police procedural, then the hows become very important. You know, um, Sherlock explaining how he deduced something is almost more of the story than the story itself. And with time travel, it's not about the procedure. It's about uh-huh. the the outcomes. So, yeah, and, and it's great that you have and one of my favorite things uh, about Night Vale is not just that everybody accepts it and, and, and maybe even uses the weird things to their advantage at times. But, yeah, there's just no explanations for anything. And, and you know, and that's fine. It works yeah. really well. Yeah. When we interviewed, or excuse me, when we reviewed Welcome to Night Vale, I had called out the fact that um, sexuality was uh-huh. not defined. Like, sometimes someone would just be, you know, a man with another man, man with another woman, that type of thing. And I thought it was a really refreshing approach to just not making a deal out of, like, who, you know, like, what your sexuality was. And then um, watching that interview with Felicia Day, I think it came up that... I can't remember the the exact question, but you were talking about how it's weird that people make such a big deal out of who you want to date or who you mm-hmm. wanna, who you love. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to say it was such a refreshing approach to sexuality in general to just make it such a non-issue. Um, it, it, oh, was, it was really cool. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's how it came off. And I was like, yeah, this is this is basically the way that it should always be. <laughs> It was it was it was extremely intentional. I mean, it wasn't a, an, an effort. It was just simply uh, uh, just a way of of 
I think if you frame something in a world as really natural, kind of we were talking about earlier about when you say time isn't real and you kind of reinforce it enough as just a throwaway that people say, well, I don't know how to explain it. Just time isn't real. And then eventually you hope that the reader says, well, okay, time, time doesn't work in Night Vale. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, I just know that that could come up. And um, yeah, and I think if you kind of set out a, a world in which people behave in a certain way, you know, that uh, you can kind of put that into the minds of the readers too. And, and I think, I think not responding to something like somebody's sexuality in Night Vale has been a, you know, a, a big part about how we do that. Cause in some ways Night Vale is not a place that I would want to model normal civilization on the way the government <laughs> films everything that you do, but it, it ultimately is a friendly town. Um, even if people shout interloper at strangers or whatever, but um, it, it all comes from a place of neighborliness and, and, and good spirits. And so I, I've always sort of appreciated that we could create this world where you don't have to say like, this kid's bisexual. Let's go on to a 30 page description of what bisexuality is and how difficult that is. And, and all the political issues uh, surrounding that um, you could just say a thing and just be like, why, why would you even, why would that even need to be an issue? Like if Josh is going to, uh, date a boy and he's going to take the form of a cute animal while he does that. Like all of that is just completely normal. So what, however strange you think a shapeshifter is or a bisexual person is, um, <laughs> you are left with no recourse, but just to take it as natural. So touch it, pal. I love Incredible. it. That's amazing. So moving on to um, the new books, mostly void, partially stars and the great glowing coils of the universe are, uh, are out this week. Um, Tell us a little bit about the decision to do those. Sure. It was, uh, you know, when we started the podcast, we were writing all of these words, you know, 2,500 wor uh, 2, words uh, an, an episode and just cranking these things out. And we, we've uh, loved storytelling. And we both, had, uh, you know, uh, had some background in like self-publishing. Uh, Joseph had started this uh, group, company, Commonplace Books. And uh, before Nightville had started, we he had published a couple of uh, short story anthologies. Uh, from just writers all over the internet that he had met, uh, just, hey, write a story based around this idea, and people would write a story and submit it, and he'd publish these books, and it was a lot of fun. So I think early on in, it was one of the first decisions we had made for ourselves was to publish these books, um, although early on when we had 50 listeners, the idea was, well, we'll just, you know, as we get through a whole year or two years or something like that, we'll we'll publish them Um you know, we'll publish them in little anthologies at the end of each year. And, um, and, and that was just something we really wanted to do and we would annotate them. So we're like, we have these documents from way back in 2012 where we had taken our early scripts and we were just footnoting them rather, um, you know, just little bits and pieces like throughout, like, Oh, by the way, this character name is named after this person or, um, you know, well, we make this joke about librarians being evil. And in fact, both of us spend a lot of time at libraries. Here's some stuff about libraries, whatever. So yeah, so it was, it was a very early decision we had. And then, and then after the first year, uh, we started, uh, uh gaining some, some popularity and we started, uh, doing some live shows and uh and we just we really enjoyed doing the live show so we got a little distracted with with that and not publishing because uh, uh if you've ever done self-publishing you know it's it's almost a full-time job to put a book together even if you have our all the material ready to go and so we kind of put it on the back burner and then and then we um and then we had the opportunity to do this novel and uh we had some interest from publishers asking 
if we had any thoughts on publishing and we thought, well, it's probably a better thing to start with an, a novel if a publisher is going to be involved than with these other things. So we focused all of our attention on the novel then. And, um, and yeah, and then put that out last year. And so, yeah, these, the, this idea had been sitting around. So once the novel was out, we really asked, we asked Harper Perennial, our publisher about, about these books. And they said, great idea. And rather than footnoting them, which can be a little overwhelming as a reader to have a ton of David Foster Wallace style footnotes at the bottom of everything. We thought, well, let's just do intros and add some kind of like director's note commentary uh, to the start of each episode. And then we asked our friend Jessica, who's done a lot of artwork for us to, to, um, you know, do these beautiful covers and then also to um, kind of illustrate each episode. Um, Not dissimilar to say like the way the Harry Potter books all have the chapters all start with kind of like a drawing of something from the chapter. And um, Jessica has such like a, uh, like a creepy, surreal quality to her work. She never quite hits ever, anything directly on the nose. She always kind of has like a like a, a, a strange juxtaposition of, of of imagery. So, yeah. So that that was the idea. It started from the very get go, and then once we had a publisher involved, that made our lives so much easier. I, I just got my uh, the the final prints of those books in the mail the other day. So that's, that's always exciting. It's a really fun thing when you get a book you made. Mm-hmm. And you just get to hold this in your hand. You just think of all the times that you sit there being like trying to cram things in before a deadline and just hunched over by yourself typing at a computer. And then you, and then you get this like, oh, here's the manifestation, the physical manifestation of all of that work uh, crammed into there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they're very pretty books. Yeah, they're well, they they're handsome tomes. They are. Um, Jessica Hayworth, who did the art for that, uh, I really love her a lot. She's she's fantastic. She's done a lot of cool stuff for us, and you know, made T-shirts and posters for us. And and uh, yeah, she was somebody. I, I want to say maybe back in like fall of 2012. Like we'd only been doing the show like four four months or so, and uh, she just emailed us, and she had just drawn like just it's just like a pencil sketch of this um, basically this two headed deer with uh sp- like spider eyes like each it was like a two-headed deer and each deer <laughs> face had like eight eyes on it and it's it was really terrifying and wonderful and uh yeah ever since then we're like you should just draw things for us all the time please do that it's, this is amazing uh, and she has she's been drawing stuff for us ever since it's really really fantastic yeah like that weird floating jaw thing on the second book yes <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> it is <laughs> I have like several things to say about everything you just said, but I think that uh, we can identify as um, as as having kind of a similar situation. We're podcasters, and um, I think that from from my perspective, doing the podcast is great and it's fulfilling, and we get to meet such wonderful people and talk about such wonderful things. But you, you never talk about all the interesting things that happen behind the scenes, and there's a lot of it. So I, I mean, I. Livius and I talk about how, like, our historian twenty years from now is going to have a great time talking about um, everything that we did. <laughs> so <laughs> I identify that with that in a very personal way. But one thing I wanted to say about these books, which I was very excited about, and this isn't a question; this is just more of a of a statement that you may I don't know if you've you've probably you may have heard similar things from other people. Is um, the reason I haven't listened to more Welcome to Night Vale episodes is that I get distracted in my car and that's usually mm-hmm. where I listen to podcasts and so I would I'd be doing something and I would I'd miss and then and kind of lose my spot in the story and and then I'd be upset I'd be kind of pissed at myself or whatever 
And so um, I, I, I guess I wanted to give it the, the attention it deserved to really appreciate the story. And in the car where I was listening all the time, I didn't quite get that level of attention. So when these books were, you know, when we came onto our radar, I was thinking, oh, man, this is perfect. I can just get into that story, you know, in my own time in the medium that, like, I love most. So for me, this was this was like a godsend. Yeah, I, I, I identify with that, uh, what you just said, too, because I'm in transit a lot, either on a train or driving or something. And I I, uh, I definitely do audiobooks and podcasts quite a bit. And uh, yeah, uh, there, there's this thing about listening to audiobooks that I have to be sort of careful about the books that I choose, because like so, some more elaborate, uh, going back to Donald Bartlemay's The Dead Father, like I, I don't know how well I would do with that as an audiobook, because it um, it, it doesn't have the same kind of like constant plot points that move forward, like say a, a thriller or a biography or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I totally, I really appreciate that because there is a thing where in a book, I do that all the time where I'm laying on the couch reading a book and I realize I've read two full pages and I didn't process any of it because I was thinking about <laughs> something else. I like, I should be mowing the lawn or something. And then, but it's very easy to like backtrack because visually on the page, you're like, Oh, I remember this part. This is where I was. But the little 15 second rewind on a, on a podcast app is, is a little tough because you're not sure how long you had been going. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm hoping for a lot of people picking up these books will have this, that same kind of effect that you were just saying, which is, that, you know, oh, I remember this episode, but I, I totally either forgot this thing or I remember this part and kind of giving you like remembered insight or maybe just stuff you might have missed because you were driving thinking about mowing the lawn and <laughs> just missed this middle three minutes of episode 22 or whatever. There's something to be said, too, for I just recently read a short story where, you know, and I'm mostly a Kindle reader, but I was highlighting these great passages and that's probably not something you can really do. No. When you're listening to something, right? So you can't go back and revisit just, you know, the 20 brilliant lines in, in this particular <laughs> short story or, or whatever. So there's that to be said for the for the yeah. written word or at least the digital written word. I don't highlight my paper books, but <laughs> right, I love it. Right. love it on my digital medium. So you mentioned um, live shows. So Rob and I were both wondering, but we're going to frame it like maybe listeners want to know. What is the experience like at one of the live shows? That's great. We took we take this kind of a, a approach. So we we so the the story itself at a live show is uh, is done not dissimilarly to the podcast in the sense that it is Cecil and he is narrating uh, a single story in town. There are also extra you know the the other radio bits that happen between uh, traffic and sports and community calendars, etc. So the the structure is similar. It's a longer form, of course, because it's a it's an evening show rather than just a thirty minute podcast. But we we structured the show. They're, they're a lot of fun because Cecil is a lot of fun. And he's such an amazing stage actor. Um, so we kind of the staging is pretty simple. We we decided not to write a play. We didn't want to like draw the world for everyone. We wanted to keep it in the in the verbal and keep it with Cecil laying out the story and then allowing everyone to to visualize that. So we kind of stage it very similar to kind of like old radio theater. It's just a it's just a man on a mic and it's just storytelling. And he does this really amazing job of of kind of like taking the audience energy and playing with it and against it, um, involving the audience in certain ways. It's not like improv theater where he's asking for like, I need a I need a, a location and a type of food or whatever. But <laughs> we certainly write bits into the show that 
that directly rely on audience energy. Uh, one of our first real touring show was called The Librarian, and it was about a librarian that had escaped its containment and was uh, on the loose in Night Vale. And um, Joseph wrote this really great passage in The Librarian uh, that was, he kind of called it his William Castle moment. Um, and William Castle, for those who aren't familiar, mid-century filmmaker and he did uh he did this really famous film called the tingler and the tingler was uh, a movie that when it was a it was a horror thriller and um it was about this being that kind of i think electrocuted people i'm probably getting that exactly wrong but it was this you know being that slipped in and around town and then in the movie the way the tinglers does they they then talk about how the tingler was now loose in the movie theater and movie theaters that would show the Tingler would actually hook the seats up with little electrodes, <laughs> and, um, and they would, uh, and then you know when when the Tingler got loose in the theater, they would run the little electrodes, and everyone would get like a little bzzz in their ear, and their seat would shake. And um, I, I assume nobody was electrocuted. I'm pretty sure it was pretty low <laughs> low voltage, but they. Um, so we kind of wanted to do that, and obviously we didn't hook up seats with electrodes, but we kind of built this whole scene wherein. Cecil announces to his listeners that the that the uh, librarian now was loose in a theater, and uh, you know we kind of played with the meta idea that everyone literally is in a theater at that time. But of course, Cecil is still in the uh, the conceit that he's speaking on the radio, so he would be like, "Well, of course you're listening to the radio, so you're totally safe. You wouldn't be dumb enough to go watch live theater." But this thing is on the loose in the theater, and it's crawling under chairs and doing this sort of thing, and it's descending from the ceiling. And so we kind of played with that, and then he would announce, and then suddenly the people in the theater started screaming, and then people would scream, and it was just this really fun thing that we would just see. Joseph and I would write things to see if we could get the audience to scream or to chant something or to say something um, just in the course of the story without telling them to do it. And uh, it's been really great because people respond really, really well to it. Uh, so, yeah, it becomes this really great thing of like kind of rather than just like simply just sitting and listening to a guy read a script, uh, we definitely wanted to play with the audience energy and, and utilize the fact that we're all in the space together. So they, they, they're sort of part of the story, too. Now you've been working in plays, but it has to be really cool to get instant interaction. So, you know, when we get email and we get messages from listeners and stuff, but every, you know, people hear this stuff days, weeks, sometimes after it's recorded, but that, that it has to be instant gratification to have your audience actually participate. That's really, really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Your, your description reminded me of, um, well, first of all, it's just awesome. It sounds like, so First of all, Livius and I have hosted some like live readings and stuff. Nothing like what you do, obviously, but like you know, like we introduce the authors that are coming up to read their stories, and we are so flat with the way that we. <laughs> there is no showmanship at all in the way we do things. So I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, that sounds exhausting. Um, but it made me think of uh, if I don't know if you've heard of the author uh, Josh Mallerman. Um, he wrote a book called Bird Box, uh, which was kind of a big splash uh, last year. And one of the conceits of the story is that. Um, if you uh, look, if you see this specific thing, you go crazy and, and either kill yourself or other people or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole book takes place with like all the characters are wearing blindfolds um, throughout the entire book. So they don't see this thing. And when he was doing readings, he was experimenting with like everybody who attended the reading wore a blindfold while he was reading the story. So it was like kind of more immersive. And uh -huh. I love it when you get creative with your audience and, and include them in ways like that. Oh, it's so much fun. I think it was Rob you had mentioned earlier about uh, living in the Midwest. Uh, do you guys are you guys 
near Chicago at all, or do you know anything about the Neo Futurist Theater Company yes. in Chicago? Yes and Have yes. You, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, I would say quickly the, the uh, you know Cecil and I um, both knew each other, and and Joseph too. Although Cecil and I were both in the the New York Neo Futurist Theater Company for many years, and so that kind of background of like playing with with uh, the audience relationship to the performer. Is is one of the coolest things, and it, and it's really fun to do on the stage, and it, it it's also great when you can tie that in to literature as well. And um, there's a writer. Do you guys know B. S. Johnson, the writer B. S. Johnson? Mm, not sure. Probably oh. from the 1950s, I guess. And he was English, and uh, he died uh, young in his 40s. Um, so he only had a few books, but B. S. Johnson had this real like. He was really intent on having a very different experience with his readers than just the typical novelist. And he he really held to kind of like very similar to what the neo-futurists believe, which is the audience should be part of the show. And also you should tell it from a place of truth and honesty and reality and not pretend anything. So a lot of his novels were in essence sort of nonfiction. But he, I think his most famous work was called The Unfortunates. It was also kind of uh, re- referred to as book in a box. And uh, what it was was he wrote this story about a friend of his who died young of cancer. Um, and he went to go visit his friend one time. or he, I'm sorry, he went to go cover a, a, a football match uh, somewhere up in, in northern England. And um, it was a town where his friend used to live. And so he had all these memories come back to him about his friend. And so he wrote all of these chapters uh, of different memories, and some of them are a paragraph long and some of them are 20 pages long. But he realized that memories aren't linear, and um, and so what he did was he, he asked the publisher not to bind the book, uh, only to bind the chapters. So the book was sold in a box with all the ch- all of the chapters separately bound, um, usually by staples. Wow. And so when you bought the book, uh, it was always in a different order. Uh, so you would get the story out of order. He had another book that I'm, I'm forgetting the, the title of, but he wanted to have a certain passage of the book revealed earlier in the book, and he wanted attention drawn to it. But rather than just insert himself into it saying, here, here's some foreshadowing, he actually had the book, um, he had the pages scored. So he had several pages that just had a hole in them. Uh, revealing a sentence that was to come that was to come several pages away. So as you read the book, you just saw this thing coming for several, several pages, and it you'd always drew your attention to it. And I love that type of interaction, and that's a thing that it's hard to do in literature, really, really hard to find new ways to reinvent how a novel interacts. But with the stage, it, 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 there, there's so many possibilities of, of how to bring um, an audience uh, into the show. Wow. You know, you've now made me angry because I hear about this kind of old-timey book that was put together in this really interactive way. And here we have all of the digital needs at our fingertips and <laughs> and really not, not a lot happening on that front. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes with, with digital books and uh, the inter- interactivity that you can have with that. And um, we're starting to have kind of like right now, some of the ebooks I've seen, it feel like kind of like uh, extra content 
um, right. yeah. you know, which which is also cool. I really like the the extra content. Um, but I definitely have seen a few where they've they've done some kind of like animated artwork on the page that, you know, where where people have you know they've they've done a they've done a thing where like, don't remember which book it was, but an ebook version of it. Like as you touched a certain page, like the words just all or the letters all like dribbled off the page, and it was yeah. kind of a cool effect. But it was something added in later because the book was written as a novel, so that's not something the book could do. But I'd be curious to see more like ebook things written for that interactive ebook sort of thing, but not done in a way that feels gimmicky, the, done in a way that feels sharp and smart. Yeah, the only person I can think of that has done that intentionally with an ebook is Mark Danielewski with um, The 50-Year Sword, which was written... Actually, it was originally written uh, for a print novel, but um, kind of reimagined on like um, on an iPad when you turn turn a page music starts to play and then the words move or they appear or they disappear and stuff like that so it's very uh-huh. inten- very intentional and and really really well executed Oh interesting but that's great on an iPad but when you try to look at it on a Kindle it's a PDF so like there you know there's not like a universality of it like if you don't have this one experience it's not the same so it was I mean and that might also be interesting but yeah that's the only one I've seen that that really um, he didn't just take advantage of the technology that was available, but he kind of took it a step further. Yeah, and I feel like iPads have kind of not blown up in popularity the way that just like a simple laptop computer has or a, even a Kindle-style e-reader. And so I, it does feel like a limited market if you write specifically just to that type of interactive book. Yeah, yeah. I read an article not too long ago, and they were talking about the cost of doing things like that, that most of them would be done as apps and there's a cost to develop them. And the problem is that people do them and it doesn't take off and they just don't have money to make the second one. So I think until a large entity, a company, a a big five publisher says, hey, we're going to go ahead and invest $2 million and put out a catalog of of these types of apps that you could run on an Android device or on an iPad or on your your desktop computer, I I don't think we're going to see success. Someone's got to throw a bunch of money in and and have a catalog, not one experience that they've lost, you know, $38,000 on because not <laughs> right. enough people bought it. You know, they have to, to develop a catalog of, of sorts, I think, and then maybe we'll see something. But Rob and I have been talking about it for the five years we've been doing the podcast of we're waiting for the big digital break to happen where we're really immersed in a story, not just through its words, but through through the surrounding, you know, medium yeah. that you're reading it on. All right. So the reason I, I came up with this question is because... Night Vale, in the interviews that I've that I've read um, and, and heard from you, Welcome to Night Vale was never intended to just blow up the way it has, and it seems like so many things have happened, and it's and it's been this unexpected success. But I was wondering if there was something like, what was your favorite thing that came of this overall? Man, there's there's a lot of favorite things. I I think <laughs> I think from my my point of view of being a being a uh, somebody who comes out of theater was getting to do these live shows. It has been this really amazing, magical thing because we do, you know, I think in our biggest year, we did almost, we almost hit 100 performances in a year. And, uh, you know, mostly we do about 70 or so and we get to travel everywhere. I've, I, before Night Vale, I had never been out of the country other than Canada, but living so far North, that doesn't quite count. And, uh, so getting to do this, these shows have been to, you know, uh, 11 
Now, I think we're now to 13 or 14 different countries of doing our show. We've been to uh, uh, 40, I think, U.S. states as well. And so that kind of thing has been to be able to travel and see all of all of these different areas, many of which I've never been to before. And also to see people live is really great on a scale I've never experienced before. I mean, I think the largest crowd I've ever performed in front of prior to Night Vale was we did a Neo Futures show at the Texas A&M University for like 290 people. And that was super fantastic. But to have, you know, we did our largest show ever, our largest audience ever. And it was about 2,400 people in Seattle uh, back in July. And it was just stunning to, wow. to, to feel that crowd and to, to feel that level of energy. I, I think that's been my favorite thing. And, and also, I don't know, the, the weird thing that comes out of like the unexpected thing that came out of fandom, I'm sorry, I'm giving you two answers, but the other, the unexpected <laughs> thing that came out of the fandom and, and, uh, you know, talking to other people who have fan followings or, or even seeing them talk about this on online is there's this thing when people, when you become a fan of a thing for, for a lot of people becoming a fan of something is, is because it, it emotionally resonates with you uh, and you, you really latch onto a thing because it, it means something to you. So we've had, a lot of fans tell us how important the relationship between Cecil and Carlos is to them. And we've had a lot of fans just say how important Cecil's voice is to them because it helps them get to sleep. Uh, one of the weirdest but coolest compliments we get is, I love your show. It puts me to sleep. And um, I think that there's something really great about that because it, it, it's a testament to the kind of tone of the show really, uh, really connects with people on, on an emotional, almost familial level, which is really uh, really cool. And we hear that a lot from town to town. When we talk to people after the show, it's, um, uh, it, it really is overwhelming to feel like a thing you wrote. Wasn't just something that somebody said that really made me laugh or that was really touching or what a cool show or that was interesting or whatever people say <laughs> after they see a thing you've done, but they actually, uh, some people are crying when they say it and just really say, this means a lot to me and this changed my life and made it better. And that's a thing I never thought about um, uh, ever in writing a thing. I never thought about writing improving the world in any sort of way other than the the big picture thing when you sit down to write a story and you're like, this novel will change the world. <laughs> the big arrogant thought you have to have when you write something. But um, but no, you just never put it uh, into that context of that level of specificity. And, and that that really has been emotionally so fulfilling. We just advise people not to listen um, to our podcast while they're driving. <laughs> for some of for some of the same reasons that you sure just, sure <laughs> Jeffrey, is there anything you'd like to plug or where can people find out about uh, more about Welcome to Night Vale? Sure, I uh, would love to plug some things. Uh, we obviously we have the books just came out of mostly Void, partially Stars, and uh, the Great Glowing Coils of the Universe, the volumes one and two, the first two seasons of Night Vale uh, podcasts. Uh, episodes with uh, cool new art by Jessica Hayworth and commentary by me and Joseph and Cecil and all of our actors. The other thing is, is that we branched out this year in the podcasting world, uh, Joseph and I did, of making this podcast network uh, called uh, Night Vale Presents. And we are just adding new fiction podcasts and maybe we'll have some other 
not fiction podcasts in the future. But uh, we started this year with two new projects, both of which were, were by me and Joseph separately. Joseph's podcast, Alice Isn't Dead, just finished its first 10 episode season. And it is uh, kind of in the horror thriller genre. And it's uh, voiced by Jessica Nicole, who has been on Night Vale. And also you can People who watched Fringe know her as Astrid Farnsworth from that TV show. And um, I just, um, I'm in the middle of, I just posted episode five of 10 of Within the Wires, which is a new podcast I started uh, with a uh, co writer, novelist, Janina Mathewson. And um, it, it takes the form of relaxation cassettes. And so we found a way to tell a story over a, 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 a 10 part relaxation cassette program. <laughs> um, and so you, as li- while listening to it, you, you get a lot of relaxation and visualization exercises, but uh, it kind of slowly unfurls this story of um, you might actually be a, a, a prisoner in a, medical hospital somewhere so um anyway so we uh yeah so that that's going that's ongoing right now so that that's that's that uh, but yeah uh, everything we do we post on our website welcome to nightvale.com and i think we post weird jokes on our facebook page and also um we're at nightvale radio on twitter so that's where you can get uh, weird jokes and just updates on like when we tour live shows or crank out a book or something like that excellent um, Jessica Nicole was one of the things I saw that I saw the name in some of the stuff you've been working with, and I was just like, oh, because I'm a huge Fringe fan. Oh God, um, she's great. I love that. I love that show so much. I can I can only imagine. Like you can just tell. Like, and I, I honestly haven't seen her much outside of Fringe, but like you can just tell from watching her that she's got to just be an amazing actor. She's so good. I met her through. I met her uh, back in like 2007. I think is when I met her uh, through a friend, my a friend of mine, and. Um, yeah, she's really delightful, and I remember telling her, uh, just I, she's one of these people you meet, and she's so grounded and so present. Uh, it's really rare to meet a person who who has so much, just uh, the feet on the earth and uh, <laughs> and 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 eyes on your eyes, and and yeah, I just found her to be a really sincere and interesting person. And I knew she was an actor, and I was just like, well. I really want to write something for you someday. <laughs> and then she went <laughs> off and did, and then she moved and, uh, and did fringe. And, uh, and I was like, well, there, there goes that then <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna get around to getting a thing to her. And then, so it's been really great with once we started night Vale, I, we emailed her pretty early on and I was like, Hey, I can write a thing for you. Would you do it? And, uh, yeah, she did it and it was great. That's awesome. Well, Jeffrey, we want to thank you so much for, for taking time and coming on to talk to us. It's been amazing. And I'm very much looking forward to digging into, um, the two new books you got coming out. Rob, thank you, Olivia. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Once again, huge, huge thanks to Jeffrey Craner for an excellent interview. Um, the books Mostly Void, Partially Stars, and The Great Glowing Coils of the Universe are available now at Amazon and probably other fine booksellers as well. I honestly feel like I could have just kept asking him questions. It was one of those things where you don't want to take a guy's whole day up, but it was just such a fun conversation. I wanted to keep running with it, but um, I think we did. We got some excellent stuff out of that conversation. I agree. And Rob, there's a chance we actually have new listeners. Yeah, that's a possibility. So if you uh, checked out this interview because you're a fan of Jeffrey Craner, uh, this is a little bit about what we do. So we are a podcast that's happened for the last five years now. We have a little over 300 episodes. And uh, we review books, we interview authors like Jeffrey Craner, and a whole bunch of other authors. And uh, we do some live readings and stuff like that as well. We'll record authors reading their stories and put it up as episodes of our podcast. And lots of fun. We have lots of fun. 
Yeah, so be sure to jump back to episode 301. That was our review of the Welcome to Night Vale novel. And then if you're interested, check out www.bookedpodcast.com for all of our author interviews, book reviews, things like that. Yeah, or iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. Yeah. Search for Booked with a period. You're going to find it. Oh, and if you want to throw us a few bucks, patreon.com slash bookpodcast, where there are tons of perks, including early access to our episodes. And very soon, mugs shipping out to our people at the mug mug level. Pretty excited about this. Livia's probably not as excited because he's the one that's going to make the mugs and ship them. I'm super excited about mugs. <laughs> I'm going to agree with everything Rob said. All right. <laughs> until next time. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.